Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. Like Adam said, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Let me just kind of follow up real quick with what he was saying. If we have been praying for you, and our prayer list now is getting, it's getting long. If your prayers have been answered, or they're even starting to get answered, we talked about Elijah just seeing a little cloud and like knew, he knew God was on the move. Let us know, please, um, because when we receive the requests, sometimes we don't have your email because of the way it's all set up. Like, don't forget to let us know so that we can celebrate with you. Like today, I've heard two already that we've been praying for. One, the person's being feeling so much better. The other, it's on the move. And so it's exciting for all of us. And if you want to get involved with this, just please sign up. It's a wonderful blessing for you, and you are helping the people around you. But today, we are kicking off this brand new series that we are calling Truly Happy. I love this graphic. It's very, you know, sort of Easter-ish almost. Um, and it's always exciting to do new material, kind of make a shift in what we're learning about. So let me give you a little bit of the backstory as to kind of what led me to talking to us about happiness. A few weeks ago, I was scrolling through uh, Flipboard. I don't know if any of you guys use Flipboard. It's a great app on the iPhone. It basically curates news like articles for you, so you kind of let it know what you like to see. And so you could say, you know, Christianity. I just threw that in because they're church. But like, you know, <laughs> you know, cars, uh, wine, Tuscany, like what, CrossFit, like whatever you're in, you put it in. And every time you open it up, you're just going to get more articles. Anyway, a couple weeks ago, an article came across the screen. Maybe you guys saw it, but it said, Yale professor teaches the secret of happiness to the masses. And the byline was, you can't buy happiness, but you can teach it. I thought that was great. I'm going to steal that for another sermon. So if I say that, just pretend like I made it up. Anyway, so this professor here, she was teaching a course up in Yale on happiness. And she was having tremendous uh, results with her students. In fact, this course has now become the most popular course that Yale has offered in 300 years. First of all, I was shocked to know the school was that old. It's amazing. This is the most popular course in 300 years. And she was having so much success with this course that she decided to open it up to the masses, like this article is talking about. And she created a podcast called The Happiness Lab. And you can go look it up yourself if you're interested, The Happiness Lab. Now, as of the publishing of this article, and this was March 1st, this podcast had now been downloaded 60 four million times, okay? That's almost as much as our sermons get downloaded, right? Six, no, it's like three downloads. It's like my mom and like a couple other people I don't really know. So it's like no, 64 million. I saw that, I go, that's a lot of people looking for happiness. Now the wheels are turning, okay? Now in the article, she posed a question. She said, why are there so many happiness books and other happiness stuff and, and yet people are still not happy? She answers, because it takes work, because it's hard. Now, I'm reading this article through the lens of sort of Christianity, okay? I always try to do that whenever I see academia, if you will, beginning to speak into the spiritual realm, and I do believe happiness is spiritual, and we'll get to that in a second. But I'm looking at what she's saying here, and she's saying that you know, happiness takes work, and happiness is hard, and I'm like, mm, eh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not, sure if, I'm not sure if I would agree with that, but I continued to read the article and I started looking at her other work and it became clear to me. It's not so much that we are working to be happy, rather we are actively filtering out or discerning, to kind of use a church word, 
or spotlighting or rejecting the things that make us unhappy. And that's hard. That's what takes work. She made a great point. She said, um, our minds trick us about the things that make us happy. But many of these intuitions are not exactly right or are deeply misguided. I read that and I was like, amen, sister. That is like, this could be something that Paul would tell us in scripture. How many of you look at this quote, right? This idea that our minds are telling us, oh, this is going to make you happy. And you get involved with it. Like, how many of you look at this quote? You look at your life. You look at your pursuit of that which you thought would make you happy. And now you would say, yeah, she's right. She's right. I thought this, I was convinced this, not the case. Happiness is not some elusive goal. It's not something out there that can never be attained. In fact, Jesus specifically said, I have come in order that you might have life and life in all its fullness. But as this professor points out, and as scripture would agree, many of us are looking in the wrong places. That's where this series comes in. What we're going to do is we're going to find out what God has to say about happiness. Because if God created happiness, which he did, if God created our capacity to be happy and to feel joy, it might be wise, I don't know, to listen to what he has to say about happiness. So over the next four weeks, just a short little series, I got a lot to cover with you guys. A lot of stuff that I want to talk about. But before we get into the nitty-gritty sort of specifics, there's a more important conversation that we need to have first, okay? Because if we don't get today right, right? We're going to get into it in a second. But if we don't get today right, the rest is just detail. Honestly, if, if, if we can't walk away today having sort of landed on what we need to land on, if we can't get this right, the rest simply doesn't matter. So with that in mind, the one thing that I know, the one thing that I know that every truly happy person has is peace, okay? That sort of deep breath, lower your shoulders kind of peace. Now, when you look at that truly happy person, it doesn't matter what's happening in their life and sort of what their circumstances are, who they are, what race, gender, young, old, rich, poor, they just, they just have peace. Now, you might look at their circumstances and you might think, mm, I'm not sure I'd be as peaceful as you are right now. And yet, they have peace. They're happy. Now, the truth is, if you don't have peace, you really can't be happy. Now, happy people are at peace at a number of different levels. The first one is they're, they're at peace with themselves. They're just content with themselves. Now, let's be honest, and I'll say something so you don't have to, but I know you're thinking it. You have met happy people who are in worse physical shape than you, okay? Just leave it there. You've met happy people who are not as pretty as you are. You've met happy people whose clothes are not as stylish as your clothes are. You've met happy people whose car is basic compared to yours. I mean, if Anna Delvey saw them, she'd make some cutting remark in a hard-to-pin-down European accent. But, and yet unlike you, they're happy. They're at peace with themselves. And it drives you crazy for any number of reasons, but the one is you will never admit it. You want what they have. P 
peace with yourself. Happy people are also at peace with others. Jesus teaches us I mean, a ton about this. In the Beatitudes, he, he basically lays out um, a framework as to how we can be happy with other people. He would say, happy people, they're not bitter towards other people, number one. Happy people don't seek revenge, he would say. Happy people don't hold grudges. Happy people don't see themselves as victims. And happy people extend mercy to those around them, even those who don't deserve it even that person, and you know who that person is. And lastly, what you find in many, many cases is that truly happy people, okay, I mean those people that have that deep, abiding sense of peace and happiness, those people are at peace with God. That's what we have to talk about today. This is what I want to land on. And what we're going to see is that peace with God does two things in our lives. The first thing we're going to see is that peace with God paves the way to peace with ourselves. If you don't have peace with yourself, right? That's, if you don't have peace with yourself, there's a good chance. I'm not saying this is definitely it, but I'm saying there's a good chance it's because of something in your past. Something you just can't let go of. Something you just keep dragging with you. Something you just can't seem to escape. When you realize that because of Jesus, God no longer holds your past against you, it gives you the freedom to no longer hold it against yourself. When you realize that the God who created you has forgiven you, it begins to pave the way for you to begin to to forgive yourself. I would go so far as to say is that once Jesus has forgiven you, you've lost the right to not forgive yourself. But that's a different sermon for a different day. The second thing we see is that peace with God equips us to make peace with others. So you've heard of the golden rule, okay? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That's the golden rule. Well, the driving ethic in the New Testament really is like the platinum rule, okay? Like it's just it's like a step above. And that is do unto others as your heavenly Father has done unto you. That's a whole different ballgame. What Jesus teaches us is that since we've been forgiven by God, we are now required to forgive others. Since we are people who have been made right with God, we now have an obligation to figure out how to make it right with the people around us. So today I'm using this phrase, peace with God, right? This is sort of like the, the, the main phrase of the day. Now, when we use this phrase, peace with God, there is an assumption there, and the assumption is that there is a conflict with God at some levels. Because if you don't have peace, you necessarily have conflict, right? Well, the New Testament teaches, Jesus teaches us, that we as human beings are actually at conflict with God at two separate levels, right? With our sin, and then there is your sort of specific sin. Let me start by just talking about sin like the macro level, okay? The best way to understand sin in general, now I'm not talking about your specific sin, I'm talking about our sin nature as human beings. The best way to understand this is to think about the nation you were born into. I've used this analogy before because I think it's, it's helpful. I was born in America, which means 
I'm an American. Now, I didn't choose to be born in America, so in that sense, you could say, well, that's not fair. You didn't get a choice to be born here as an American, but that doesn't change the fact that I was still born here and I'm an American. Let's just pause for a second on this idea of it not being fair because it's important. Just because something is unfair doesn't make it untrue, right? Something can be unfair and still be true. And this is a huge concept that people struggle with, particularly Americans, particularly when it comes to things of God. So, so I was born as an American. I didn't choose to be. In the same way, Scripture teaches us that we all, all of us, were born into the nation of sin or the kingdom of sin, or the kingdom of darkness. Use any sort of biblical term you want to describe the world, the fallen world that we were born into. Now, you didn't get a choice about being born into the nation of sin. You might say that's unfair, but scripture says it's still true. You are, by birth, a sinner, which means you have a sin nature. Paul walks us through what this looks like. He goes, when Adam sinned, Sin entered the world, which means there was a time before sin. But when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death. Paul is saying, wherever there is sin, there is death. And he doesn't just mean physical death, because you have seen sin kill relationships, right? You've seen sin kill marriages. You've seen sin destroy finances rip apart careers, impact your health. And for some of you, you've seen sin kill your self-esteem. All of us at some level have seen sin kill things. So Paul's like, whenever sin shows up in your life, something dies. He continues. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. For everyone, sin. No one is exempt. We are all in the nation of sin, Paul would say. And so what Scripture is teaching us is that when it comes to not being at peace with God, that conflict, part of the problem is we all were simply born into the wrong nation. We were born into the nation of sin. And because of that sin, we are separated from God. Scripture says there's a, a great divide between the, the, the nation of sin and the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And Jesus teaches that he specifically came to bridge that gap, to bridge that divide, to reunite us with God. Now, for that to happen, Jesus says something must take place, and he uses a phrase that makes a lot of us squirm, but it's an important phrase that we need to understand. He goes, if you want to change, you need to be born again. You've heard this phrase before. Let's be honest about this phrase. When we think about born-again Christians, we think about wackos. <laughs> my, I mean, am I wrong? I mean, you're, I mean, right? It's like, you know, there's like a spectrum of normalcy on the Christian. Like you got your, you got your Catholics, they're normal, right? Then you like, and then you got your born-agains way over, okay? I hate to burst your bubble, but if you've said yes to Jesus, you're one of them. Okay, you've been born again according to Jesus. Jesus is the one who used this term. He's saying if you want to leave the nation of sin and enter the kingdom of God, you've got to be born again into another country. 
you need an entirely new passport. Paul kind of fleshes it out. He says, for he, speaking of God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Paul's saying, look, God wants, desires to, to, to bridge that separation between us and him. He wants to transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the nation of sin, into his kingdom for free, by the way, through faith in Jesus Christ. Once you do that, Paul brings it all together. And that's where we get the all-important concept for the day. Therefore, he says, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying peace with God begins with faith in Christ. This is the first step to having peace with God. We don't have peace with God because of our good works. I'm not going to have it. You can't achieve peace with God because, you know, you try real hard. You can't have peace with God because your parents were, were Christians or whatever the case may be. According to Paul and according to Scripture, the only way that we can achieve peace with our Creator is because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that's only part of the conflict we have with God. Let's kind of shift gears for a second and talk about your sin, right? Moving now beyond sin in general at the macro level, the sin of the world. Now we're talking about how your specific sin and your behaviors and your actions and your attitudes and your thought life ultimately impact your peace with God. To best understand this, I'm going to use another analogy, all right? We're going to talk about a family. Now, you can think about your own family growing up. You can just picture sort of the idea of a family, but every single family has rules. Kind of talked about this in the Ten Commandments series. And when you were a kid, it seemed like your family had more rules than everybody else's family. And while at times those family rules felt arbitrary, they weren't. But those rules were meant to keep you on the straight and narrow. Those rules, if followed, would help to mold you into the very best possible person you could become. But as kids, we don't see that. So what do we do? We push back against the rules, and it disturbs the peace. And the reason so often that we were not at peace with our parents is because they told us, no. You got mad. They wouldn't let you do whatever it is you want to do. And so you reasoned, you know, we'd have peace in this house if you just let me do whatever it is I want. I wouldn't slam my bedroom door. You wouldn't have to scream out like, crying out loud and pour that glass of wine. Mom, Dad, look. Listen, guys, this could all go away if you just let me have my way. All of this could stop, Mom, Dad. I mean, the screaming, the stomping, the arm folding. I can make it disappear if you just let me go my way. Now, let me tell you something. That's a tempting proposition for a parent. Because the parents, you, you want peace. I mean, who wouldn't want peace? Of course you want peace in the house. My father-in-law jokes all the time, peace at any costs. Peace all the time. He doesn't really mean that because he knows, just as many of you parents know, if you let your kids have their way, 
we all will have peace 100% right now, but they, they will 100% have a problem later on. The most difficult choice for a parent is to sacrifice peace for the benefit of the child they love. How much easier would life be, parents? Curfew? Nah. Come home whenever. Or don't come home. Not a problem, right? Boys in the room, not an issue. Here's what we're going to do. Mom and I, we're going to go to dinner. Have the house to yourself, okay? There's white claws in the fridge, okay? Like, we'll text you before we're leaving the restaurant, just so, you know, okay? How's that sound? Is that good? And we're like, yeah, that's great. That's a... That's like, sign me up for that. That's a dream scenario for any child. But here's the truth. Your parents love you too much to let you have your own way. And they know they're not idiots. They know that by putting their foot down and saying no, it will remove the peace from everyone's lives. But they love you too much to let you do whatever you want to do in the exact same way. Scripture tells us that God loves you too much to let you have your own way. Now, if you're a Christian in the room, and I know many of you are, let me talk to you for a second. If you're a Christian in the room, that means you're in God's family now. According to Scripture, you are his child, you are his son, you are his daughter, he is your heavenly father, and he has rules for you because you are now in his family. I don't know what you're doing with his rules. That's between you and God. I don't know what you're doing with them. I don't know what's going on in your life. But if you feel, as a Christian, if you feel like there's this weight just pressing down on you, like, you, like there's this feeling that you just can't shake, something's off. There's, a, there's this, like a, it's got tension inside of you. And the only way that you could describe it, if you were able to describe it, is there's just, I don't, like, there's, I'm just, I don't have this peace in me right now. You want to know what that is? That's your Heavenly Father trying to get your attention. That's the Holy Spirit trying to convict you, Scripture would say, trying to get you to make the connection between your lack of happiness, your lack of peace, and your disobedience at some level to God's family rules. That's your heavenly father trying to make you uncomfortable in sin. And Christians, try as you might, but you just can't ever seem to find total peace in that particular area of your life. Now, I don't know what that area is, but I bet you do. It's just whatever this is for you, you're trying to do, it's never smooth sailing, is it? It's always friction. It might be fun in the moment, but afterwards it's, oh. That's because God loves you too much. He loves you too much to let you be comfortable in activities or behaviors or mindsets or relationships or attitudes that will ultimately hurt you even if you think his rule is unfair. God wants nothing more than peace with his children. He allowed his son to die so that there could be peace between him and us. But he will disturb your peace for as long as he has to. 
to get you, as his child, back on track. John, who was the best friend of Jesus, addresses, like, what does it mean for a Christian to be out of sync with their heavenly father? Here's how he puts it. He says, if we say, talking to Christians now, if we say that we have fellowship with him, right? Yet, walk in darkness. In other words, Christians, if we act like everything is cool between us and God, and yet we continue to do whatever we want in the blatant disregards of God's rules that we know we're doing, by the way, he says, guess what? Buckle up. We lie. We lie. And we don't practice the truth. He would say, if you pretend that you and God are good, but you know you're disobeying him, you're a liar. Now, John's like 90 years old when he's writing this, so he's lost a little bit of his filter. He goes, but you're, you're lying. Now, maybe, maybe you've made up some excuse, and it's a good excuse. Oh, it's a solid one. Maybe you've created or you've concocted some sort of theology. Maybe you've spent hours doing spiritual gymnastics in order to avoid one of God's rules, but John would say, newsflash. You're lying to yourself. And you're lying to the people around you and there are consequences to that. You're not going to have that peace. He would say, because you can't have peace with God while you're ignoring what your father says. He continues to build his case. He says, if anyone says, I love God, but keeps on hating his brother, he's a liar. He's like, look, if you're a Christian and you claim to love God and yet you keep on hating others, you're a liar. You, you can't have peace with God if you haven't made peace with someone who God has told you to make peace with. You can't have peace with God who has forgiven you if you refuse to forgive the other people in your life. And he wraps it up, and it's a doozy. He says, four, if he doesn't love his brother who is right there in front of him, how can he love God? Whom he's never seen. Oof. When I read that, I was just so unbelievably convicted. As Christians, I... I know we love people, but do we really? I mean, we're pretty good. I'm not going to say we're great, but we're pretty good at loving those who have sin in their lives. But how are we at loving those with different political opinions? There's nothing more painful. There's nothing more painful than to watch a Christian tear someone apart because of their politics. And the reason that's why I brought, the only reason I brought that example up is because that is a massive, huge, gargantuan problem for Christians in America. We're doing damage out there, folks. People are watching us. Scripture says they're learning about their Savior by watching us. John is saying, you, you can't hate others and have peace with God. You, you can't hate others and have peace with others. You can't hate others and have peace with yourself. 
You can't hate and be happy. And don't we all know that to be the truth? So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here, every week we put this word on the screen. We want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So, so today's a little different. Today I have two questions for two separate groups of people. And the first question is this. Have you made peace with God? Has there ever been, and I don't know who I'm talking to right now, but has there ever been a time in your life when you looked at God and you said, I am a sinner. And I may not understand all the church thing and I may not understand all the Bible thing. I don't get it all, but I, I, I do believe that Jesus was real. And I do believe he died for me. And there has been a void in my life and I've tried to fill that void with everything possible and nothing has worked. And it is clear to me now that Jesus is what was missing. In just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to have that conversation. But many of you in this room, and I know this for sure, have already had that conversation with God. For you, it's not about faith. For you, it's about submission. So to the Christians in the room, I would ask you, are you at peace with God? I mean, in terms of your right standing with God, in terms of your salvation, you and God are good. You've said yes to Jesus. Nothing's going to take you out of the palm of his hand. But are there areas in your life that you know God has called you to change, and yet for one reason or another, you refuse to submit to him. My old pastor, old boss, Dr. Larry Thompson, he would famously, when speaking to Christians about this kind of an issue, he would say, look, continuing in sin, once you've said yes to Jesus, continuing in sin, it's not going to keep you out of heaven, but it will keep heaven out of your life. He's right. You're just not going to have that peace you're looking for. So let's get real here for a second. Christians, who or what is more important than peace with your creator? What is that relationship or that attitude or that activity that is keeping you out of sync with your heavenly father? So here's what we're going to do. We have a closing song like we normally do. But rather than singing along or just sitting back and listening, I want it to be a moment between you and God. And if you are someone here today or someone watching online or someone listening in the future who has never made peace with God, today can be the day that you place your faith in him. You don't need to come forward. You don't gotta raise your hands. You don't need to do anything weird. In your own heart, cry out to him. It doesn't have to be some fancy prayer. It can be as simple as, Jesus, save me. And in a moment, you can be made right with the creator of the universe. You, for the first time, will have peace with God. Now, Christians in the room, you may have hated today's message because the Holy Spirit, once again, is dinging your conscience about that area in your life that you know is out of sync with God. God is our perfect father who only wants the best for you, who wants you to have life and life to the fullest, but that can't happen while you're out of sync with him. Let me pray for you. 
Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that we have the opportunity to come together today. As we begin our journey learning about what it looks like to be truly happy on this planet, we are challenged that it can't begin until we have peace with you. I pray, Lord, that if there is someone here today who does not know your son Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray, Lord, that they would have the courage and the humility to bow down before you, to let go of who they are, and to place their life and their soul and their everything into your hands. And I pray that they would feel your power in a way that they never have before, and they would know for the first time ever that they and you have been made right. For the Christians in the room, Every single one of us at some level is out of sync with you with something we got going on. Attitude, mindset, who knows. And you've been trying to get our attention. And we've been trying to avoid it. And we've been crossing our arms and stomping our feet and slamming the door. God, I pray that today you would turn up the volume on your conviction in such a way that we can't ignore it anymore. That you would humble us, Lord, that we would leave it at your altar. We would let go of anything that is precluding us from being in sync with you. Change us today, God. Allow us all to have peace with you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.